I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. I'm your host, Brian C. Adams. Tune in weekly to hear from top industry leaders as we discuss relevant topics in the world of business, investing, health and wellness, geopolitics, and more. To learn more about the show, visit excelsiorgp.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Elizabeth Bagger. Elizabeth is the founder of Avanti Family Business Advisory and board member of her own family business. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So you have an eclectic background, international and diverse in terms of subject matter expertise. Before we get into the meat of the conversation, we'd love to hear more about your journey and how that informs your current work. Thank you very much. So I started working in our family business, which is based in Denmark, straight out of university. I studied languages and I lived in Italy for a little while and enjoyed the family business when I graduated. And then about eight years later, I, I moved to London and spent a big chunk of my life there. And I worked in corporate governance for the first few years in London. And then when it was time to find a new challenge, I completely by chance uh, met the Institute for Family Business and just fell in love with all the wonderful businesses who were members of the organization and knew that I had found my home career-wise. And it was like I got my purpose back that I had been missing after I left our family business. And I was there for 12 years, ran the organization for the last five. And then shortly after, we were in recovery from everything that everybody went through, some worse than others, of course, pandemic. I decided to start my own consulting practice. I also moved across the Atlantic about to buy my time between the U.S. and Mexico. And the, one of the reasons I was so excited to have you come on is you have this terrific consulting business and you've been an advisor to a, a number of families, which we will explore. 
but you also are one yourself, right? You are a profile, an avatar of your client also. And that's a fairly rare thing. So I'd love for you to explore how your own family business experience, both as on the operations side or the advisory side in different roles, helps you become better at your current gig. I think it helps me to understand some of the dynamics between family members in a different way because I also lived it. I worked with my dad, so he was my direct report. My mom was in the business. And I think it just creates dynamics that people who haven't experienced it may not be able to imagine. The mix of things, of family and business and one conversation that was about business becomes about family and vice versa. So I think it brings me a level of understanding of some of the complexities that families face. Our family is quite small, but some of the dynamics will be the same whether you have a large family or a small family or a large business or a small business. And it clearly begs the question, does your family follow your advice? (laughs) Or are they like everybody else where they just totally ignore all of your professional expertise? So I sit on the board of our family business now. So I was in the business and then left and was away for many years. And I'd have to say, I think we have some pretty decent conversations about family business and I enjoy bringing back some expertise. So I think it was, as I said, I joined straight out of university. So one of my wishes was to bring some experience back because I wasn't able to do that when I first joined the business. And I feel that I do feel I have a voice. So I'm pleased with that. And it is fun to be able to say, oh yeah, we did all of this really wrong. Let's try and right some of those wrongs, like me joining straight out of university. I'm not saying that's always wrong, but it might have been helpful to have some experience from somewhere else. So it's also fun to look at retrospect and see all the things we might have done differently and try and do that now. So I've done a lot of these podcasts and and had a lot of folks sitting where you are today. And the concept of communication is something that just keeps coming up, right, as one of the most important components of family dynamics and how to manage relationships. It's a big part of your own work. So how do you do it and how do you do it wrong? Oh, it's a really good question. And I think I try not to think in terms of rights and wrongs, but are, are of course, helpful and less helpful ways of doing things. And one of the less helpful ways is not to communicate at all. And that obviously happens. There will be people in family businesses who make decisions without informing or asking, checking in with or consulting other family members where that would have been ideal. So a lack of communication is always unhelpful. So whatever a family can do to create a space for communication is really key. Like, when do we talk about these things? Where do we talk about them? We don't ambush the CEO who's also a family member at a family party. We have a space where we can sit down and have a constructive meeting where that person also has a chance to prepare for the questions that we might want to ask. Or when we talk about the ownership of our family business, Let's create a space where everybody can step in and feel fairly neutral and equally treated. So maybe that's not the CEO's office. Maybe that's somewhere else away from the business. Sometimes it works in the business, but often it can help if you take the conversations away from places where people are emotionally attached in one way or another. So I think it's all about creating 
uh, a framework for communication and then stepping into this, those conversations with respect and compassion and a willingness to learn something about family members as well as other things. Having some level of curiosity about what might that other person think and why might they think it can really help shift things. Because otherwise, if there's no communication and it's not a norm within the family, people create their own narratives in their own minds and then they project them onto other people about what that other person must be saying or thinking about them or to them behind their back. So a couple of things that I heard you say there was intentionality around the actual physical setting, being thoughtful about putting it on the calendar and having some type of moderator to help navigate those conversations. Is there anything else that you would consider best practice along those lines? I would say that working on our ability to listen to one another will help enormously. I recently attended a course where that was the key part of the, the training was to listen actively and so much so that you were able to reflect back to the other person what was being said. And it was just really interesting to see how much we don't tend to do that. And we interpret things. We reflect back what we've interpreted the other person said, but that might actually not be what they said. And when you think about it in the family business context, there will often be things where I'm so sure I know what you mean because of something that happened 10 years ago. And I've been carrying that ever since. And I have actually never listened to a word you said about this particular topic ever since because it affected me in a certain way. So that ability to listen, to be able to hear what other people say, I think is a muscle that we can all benefit from really flexing a little bit. And yeah, as you said, having a moderator, having somebody neutral in the room who can hold the space, especially if there's tension or conflict, because we will revert to our family roles very quickly when that happens. Yeah, I was actually talking to a friend about this earlier today, where listening is a highly underrated skill. And oftentimes, if that person is not a very thoughtful, active listener, they're really just waiting until you give the signal that you're done speaking, and then they're going to say something. And so it can be really powerful to have a third party there saying, okay, Elizabeth, I think I heard you say this. Is that right? That goes a long way, because otherwise, it's just one person speaking over each other. And maybe they're polite and taking turns, but they're not actually listening to what the other one says. Exactly. So how does that help with decision-making? A lot of what we talk about on the show is navigating these family dynamics in order to achieve a certain outcome or to help improve decision-making and be more unified in that decision-making. Talk to me more about the work that you do in that space. Yeah. So... It's a brilliant point because at the end of the day, that's exactly what most family meetings are about. It will be about a family member or that somebody needs to make a decision about something or the family needs to come together to make a decision about something. And unless you have really good communication about the topic, that decision may not end up being the best that it can be. And if you have everybody in the room feeling heard and able to express their views, chances are that decision that you're going to make will be much more creative, much more interesting, and much more beneficial to both the business and the family. And also that it will be something that people can sign up to afterwards. Uh, for instance, if we take something like writing a constitution, just as an example, 
could be a business decision too, of course. But unless everybody is part of that conversation and feels heard and feels that they're personally vested and invested in that document that you're creating together, something will happen that will make people decide not to live what they have just signed up to because they don't see themselves represented. So if you can create a space where people actually feel seen, heard, valued, represented, then those decisions will have a much more longer, it will have a longer shelf life and be more effective. Equally with business decisions, I've seen examples where you end up hiring the wrong non-family CEO because the family couldn't agree on things. They couldn't actually have a productive conversation about who to hire. Everybody had their horse in the race and they wanted that person. So those types of scenarios where you need to make some really serious business decisions, unless there is a place where all voices can be heard, there is a risk. It doesn't always happen, of course not, but there is a risk that you'll end up making a decision that's not right for the business or the family long term. And that really comes from a place of trust. And so my question for you is, if you are a family office or you have a family operating company, how do you go about building that trust beforehand so that when you need to make these hard choices, you can build consensus? I suppose there are two sort of separate things that are really important here. One is obviously to have enough conversations with each other to get to know each other and possibly to work things out that might be part of the family baggage, if you like. You might be carrying something from a previous generation that is affecting you today. So finding a way of dealing with that, or maybe putting in place a conflict resolution mechanism or getting someone external in to help figure things out if there are things that keep cropping up. Uh, I think that's a really good way of doing it. But the, the other side is also to have fun together outside of the business. Build that muscle as well. Have those fun times where you're just a family, nothing to do with the business, because that will also stand you in really good stead when the going gets tough and there is something that you really need to deal with. And I've heard many families say that one of the best pieces of advice they received was to have fun together because that creates that social glue in the family. I like that. And so how do you facilitate that? How do you help a family learn how to have fun with each other? Not all of them know this innately. No, it's true. One of the ways in which you can do it is obviously to organize sort of family retreats or family fun days or go and do things together. Or if you do uh, a piece of work with a family, make sure that there's another element to it that is something that has nothing to do with the context of the meeting, but just something fun. It could be to go and see, I don't know, a philanthropy project you're involved in or something totally different, a family picnic or something. So have a meeting in the morning, go and have a picnic during the day or just break it up and do something fun or at least when you do get together, make sure you don't talk business. Have that as a rule around family gatherings. Or do something creative. That's also quite fun. Go and cook together or paint together or something. So you actually work together, but on something that has nothing to do with business. Yeah, I found that removing yourself from your typical environment is really powerful. Getting people into a neutral area or where they're learning something new together can really build a lot of those bonds. And so that's really helpful to hear. One of the topics we talk a lot on the show about is this engagement of the next generation, which is a term that gets thrown around a lot. It means different things to different people. It's now referred to oftentimes as the rising generation because just I think demographically, it now has people in their 60s and their 20s in it. 
where have you seen families do well engaging the rising gen? And where have you consistently seen families really fall in accomplishing that task? Brilliant question. One of the things that makes the biggest difference in my experience is whether you actually talk to them and reach out to them and ask them what they want or whether you don't. If you make assumptions about what they want for their lives or what they should be doing, that usually doesn't have the best outcomes. But where there is dialogue, intergenerational dialogue, however old people are, ask them about their lives, ask them about their dreams, invite them into a conversation. It has to be a two-way street. And when it's not, it tends not to work so well. When it's a, oh, yeah, you'll be doing this or this is how it is or you assume they, you know what they want because then they're your children, your nieces, your nephews, your whatever. So, yeah. And real dialogue is the key here and really inviting them into the conversation and asking them, how would you like to learn about the business? What would you like to know? Yeah, I was at a conference not too long ago and it was a kind of a group therapy session of next gens mm -hmm. and the topic of non-lineals, like outlaws came up, which I'm one of. And somebody made a statement, somebody in the room made a statement that we have made the decision to allow non-lineals to come to the meetings, but my husband doesn't want to, and I don't know what to do. And I just pressed pause and I said, first off, if you use the term allow, that's not a great starting point. And has anyone ever asked this guy if he wants to come and what he wants to do and why he would find it compelling to come to the meeting? And the woman just looked at me and said, no. Yeah, I think unfortunately it happens a lot in family business. And it's just one of those functions of being family and, and then also having a business. And we just make so many assumptions about each other and each other's motivations. And sometimes we genuinely forget to ask. Other times it's just that has never been done. We've never asked. Therefore, I didn't even think to ask. And like you say, starting with they're allowed probably doesn't set the tone that you want to set for genuine engagement. Yeah, exactly. So to segue on top of that last statement you made, what are some structural things that families can do? And we can start with engaging kind of the next gen, but it goes obviously further and more afield than that. What are best practices in terms of structures and processes that families can put in place to engender that type of relationship? I think with, with the next generation, particularly, I suppose it depends a little bit on the starting point. Maybe if you have a larger family, do the cousins actually know each other? And if they don't, because some families are spread over several geographies, they might be in different parts of the world. So do they know each other? And are they going to be owners at some point? And if they need to be able to talk to each other about the business and make decisions together, it makes sense for them to start to know each other now, however old they are, and organizing social activities where it's simply about building bonds and helping people to know who they're related to. That can be a great place to start. If they're a little bit closer to the business and maybe they already know each other, then inviting them into the business, showing them things. Let's say if you create things, they might have an interest in seeing how that's done, what happens. If you're a construction company, you might show them something that's been built. Or there are many ways of inviting people in. They might also enjoy meeting some of the people who work in the business. And so 
in that way, just gently starting to show them what the business is like. I was talking to a family business owner the other day, and he said, you, you have to show them that it's fun to be in this business. If all you ever talk about are the business problems, then that's never going to be an inviting environment. Show them the business warts and all and fun and all so that they get the real perspective of the business and not just you coming home or being at a meeting and sharing all the, the challenges. So that kind of idea of making it a bit fun. And also, one of the things that we did some research when I was at the Institute for Family Business, it was done by a group of academics, and it pointed to the fact that the next gen didn't feel, this research was about 10 years ago, but pointed to the fact that they just didn't feel they had a voice. There was nowhere for them to ask their questions or share their perspectives. One of the things this report recommended, and I've talked to a lot of family about businesses about that since, is have a space where that's possible. Get them excited by bringing their own questions. So maybe, I don't know, once a quarter, twice a year, whenever it feels right for your family, bring them in and, and let them share. Let them come up with their ideas and make them feel part of it. So structure is also, I think, really key and don't just do it once and never again. Make sure that whatever you put in place is something that you want to keep up. And for family conversations in general, I think that kind of structure and, and planning and, hey, we know what to expect. We know that we meet once a year or twice a year and we know roughly how we're doing this. We know that we can actually put things in our diaries. We're not going to be told the week before and expect it to turn up and so on. I think those things actually make a bigger difference than we realize. I want to talk about succession planning. We are in an era of massive turnover of leadership amongst the baby boomer generation. It's been much talked about. It's actually happening in real time now. We're handing a lot of mandates that go through this. How do you work through the succession? Maybe we'll start with if you have time, if you're a family listening, where it's not imminent, where you don't have to make a choice today. How do you approach it if you're five or 10 years out? Again, I think it starts with asking the next generation about what they want for their lives. What are their dreams? Because I don't think anybody is interested in, as much as they want their kids to join, at the end of the day, most people don't want them to do it if that's not what they're actually wanting to do with their lives. So having that really open conversation, um, but also realizing that just because uh, a 15-year-old or a 19-year-old isn't ready doesn't mean that person won't be ready at 27 or 25. So I think that openness, patience, real dialogue, also about the business needs, I think it's important. Familiarizing everybody with the situation so you can actually have that open conversation, I think is absolutely key. And yeah, the, the, more, you can, the more you can talk about it, the more you can have an open dialogue where nobody feels they have to say something specific because the other generation wants to hear it. I think that's enormously helpful. And you might be surprised. It might be that next gen you didn't think was interested who actually is. So the more dialogue you can have, the more chance you have of finding the right solution if you have that time. And also sometimes, especially, let's say, in larger families that have been going for a long time, maybe the business has grown to a very large size, sometimes... That generation may not lead the operating business, but they might govern it. So perhaps also that openness to 
what other solutions might there be if we don't find somebody in the next generation who is the right fit? And what about scenarios where, I assume you've done mandates where you're coming in and doing crisis control, where this presumed succession plan or lack thereof is now needs to be executed upon or put into motion and there's just chaos. How do you handle that? Oh, that's a very good question. I think there are a number of things, all depending on, on what's going on, of course. But one of the things may simply be to have an, an interim CEO who knows it's for a period of time and then for the family to have a chance to recover from whatever's gone on. I've been in the room with people where there were two failed succession attempts and and it was painful and it created conflict in that generation and made it very hard to talk about the business. But then you have to find the common ground again. What is it that we can rally around and agree on and then we go from there? And in this particular case, it was the next generation. They were absolutely passionate about not having the next generation relive what they lived. Press the pause button maybe and, and get someone in who can lead for a period of time until the families had a chance to regroup and find out what the needs of the family are and what the needs of the business are. And then you can go from there and then you can start again. Because I think that, see, when you're in that kind of crisis, it's very hard to lead and to make good business decisions. Yeah, I would agree. Sometimes you need to bring in a neutral third party to be the Dutch uncle for a period of time or a hired gun, as we would say in YPO world, to do that work. You write about and you're a proponent of kind of wellness overall. Would love to hear your thoughts about how families are thinking differently about wellness generally, personal health, and how they're incorporating that into kind of their family culture and their family dynamics? So I think it's probably difficult to generalize because some people will really feel quite strongly about health and wellness and others may be so focused on on the business that doesn't really, that there isn't space for that. But I would say in those situations where I really see people, well, in most cases actually, it starts with my children, my family are more important to me than the business. So it's not that we don't, that we're not professional. It's not that we don't want this business to succeed and, and do as well as it possibly can. But at the end of the day, family has to come first in the sense that if I had to choose, I'd choose the family. So thinking about that, I think, is a really interesting thing to, to bring into the conversation. Say, so, okay, so what does that mean? How does that look? What is it that I then need to make time for um, if I'm true to, to my words? What is it that I need to delegate so I could do that? And I think in some cases, I've certainly seen that there is a little bit of flexibility and a way of, I've been on calls with people say, oh, I need to go and pick up my kids now, family business. And I, I love that. I think that's great. There has to be, there has to be something in it for the family as well. So you have to be able to prioritize your family sometimes. And I see many organizations, including family businesses, focus on organizational health. And I think family businesses have done that for a very long time, long before it really got talked about in, in the terms that it is now, like really caring for staff, really caring for people, for the well-being of everybody in the organization. So there are in pretty much every case I've ever seen, there are incredibly caring employers who understand that their staff have lives and need to take care of things outside of the business and are integrating a lot of 
good practices around mental health and time off for family and things like that. And so those are some of the examples that I see. And then I see families really committed to, to doing good in the world and feeling incredibly good about it and really wanting to be that force for good as a business, not just a family, but also as a business. Yeah, it's, it seems like there's a growing recognition that you can't help others unless you help yourself, right? So you have to put your own mask on first before you can give it to your yeah. children or your seatmate, right? So we've got wellness, transparency, communication, prioritization, and that creates this culture. But going back to the governance and the structure, if somebody listening just had a liquidity event or has an impending liquidity event or has a, a disorganized family business or maybe an embedded family office that they didn't realize they had that until they learned about what the term is. Like, where do you start after all of that work is done? Do you write a constitution? Do you form a board? What are the like three to five steps you'd recommend for a family to professionalize and get a bit more structured? I think one of the really wonderful ways in which family can start to look at things is to get clear on their purpose. And I know we talked a lot about it over a number of years, but I think really coming together and saying, what is the purpose of us doing it together as a family? Not just the purpose of the business, because that may already be clear. And in a family office, I remember somebody said years ago, I think if you have a family office, the purpose is even more important because you need glue because there's no product. There's nothing you could say, this is what we do in the world. So why we do it becomes even more important. But I think it is for all families. Why are we in this together? What's our mission statement? What's our vision and what's our purpose as owners? I think that's the best place to start. So much work, really, because then it informs everything else that comes after. Because then you start to talk about, okay, so how do we want to live this? And we might want to define our values. We might want to define the traits of ownership so that we can agree on how we're going to show up together. And then you start to build the structure of a, your governance model saying, okay, so this is how we want to do things. How often do we want to do it? What kind of conversations do we need to have? And who are we going to invite into the room and so on? And how are we going to do this? All depending on the size of the family. That will take a long time or less time. That's helpful. I think starting with the mission statement and prioritizing where your values are is hugely important. What's keeping your clients up at night right now? Or what are the consulting mandates that you're getting inbounded with? Are there some similarities that are occurring across families? Or what's the sense within your client group right now of how they're feeling about the world? I suppose most of the clients I work with are feeling quite positive about the world in general, but their sort of reasons for getting in touch are many. So there might be the family or the family who said, I think we need this governance structure now. We've been talking about it for long enough and now's the time to do it. I said, could you help us with that? Or I want things done differently to how I experienced it. And I think the time is now or there's conflict, or they say we've had this governance structure for so long that some of the other family members were not actually part of creating it. So we need to figure this out so that everybody's included. And yeah, so sometimes it's also about intergenerational dialogue that might be a little stuck and that just needs a helping hand so people can work things out together a bit better. The structures may be there, but it's just the communication that needs a little helping hand. So those are some of the things that I've seen lately. 
Elizabeth, I want to thank you for joining us today. It's been great. We've connected and I've learned more about the work you're doing and appreciate everything that you're doing for the families you work with. I encourage all of our listeners to leave us a review, leave us a rating, let us know your favorite part of the conversation. If people are interested in connecting with you to learn more about the work you do, what's the best way for them to get engaged? Probably just to find me on LinkedIn. I post very regularly and yeah, that would be a great way to to get in touch. Yeah, you're a great follow. You put out fairly positive content. So thank you for that. And I definitely encourage people to follow along. As we end the conversation, we ask people that come on the show a question. Do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? I do. It's my coffee morning routine. So I have good 15, 20 minutes where I only do whatever I want to do as I drink my coffee and it just makes my day start in a better way. You become a real American drinking coffee in the mornings. Good for you. Welcome to the club. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck moving forward. Please do keep creating the incredible content that you do. And I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation on the Capital Club podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, rate, and leave us a review. And please follow us on your favorite streaming platform so you never miss an episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.